Welcome back to the Are You Shipping Me podcast, the show where we help manufacturers and distributors with their supply chains. I'm Elliot Brazil. Without further ado, let's dive right in. I'm joined today by Walt Beedling, Matt Brazil, and Eric Hoffer, so we've got something of a threefer for you today. Walt is a managing partner at both the Cargo Security Alliance, where he provides thought leadership, tools, and techniques for the mitigation of supply chain risks, as well as at Cayuga Partners LLC, where he helps clients manage, plan, and optimize manufacturing and supply chain operations. Matt is currently a research fellow at the Jamestown Foundation. He's also my father, and he recently published Chinese Communist Espionage and Intelligence Primer with co-author Peter Mattis. It's on sale now on Amazon.com or wherever you get your books. Prior to the Jamestown Foundation, Matt was involved in cargo theft investigations and intellectual property security in the corporate world. Eric Hoffer is the president of CGM Security Solutions Incorporated and Rig Secure Incorporated. Both are manufacturers of security products and technology designed to mitigate and prevent cargo theft incidents. He's also a partner at Cargo Security Alliance. Today, we're really going to be talking about cargo security best practices uh, from a high level for manufacturers and distributors. And we're going to be diving into a specific project that the three of these guys worked on together really dealing with uh, establishing a secure protocol for packing, shipping, and receiving electronic equipment, sensitive electronic equipment, from the U.S. uh, into the People's Republic of China uh, for a corporate client. If you're interested in learning more about the Cargo Security Alliance, you can reach them at securecargo.org, where they have a lot of good information online. I suggest you look them up. So, Walt, why don't you start us off and and introduce our listening audience to the Cargo Security Alliance? Okay, thanks, Elliot. Um, Yeah, this uh, actually was a pretty interesting project we worked on, and uh, Eric and Matt can fill you in on the details. But uh, first, just a little bit about the Cargo Security Alliance. Uh, Our mission is to secure the global supply chain and expedite the flow of commerce. And to carry out this mission, we bring together three essential elements. Number one, it's truly said that cargo at rest is cargo at risk. Supply chain security really starts with a supply chain design that maximizes speed, efficiency, and security by minimizing handoffs and idle time en route. Number two, this is enabled with information technology, technology that allows us to track cargo en route, to identify and verify the credentials of the personnel handling that cargo to ensure and prove the chain of custody, and to alert shippers, intermediaries, and authorities quickly in the event of tampering or theft to expedite recovery and effectively prosecute violators and, and criminals. Third, uh, the protection of cargo and vehicles carrying it with physical security devices, including locks, seals, and tamper-evident packaging to detect tampering, prevent authori- unauthorized access, and theft. Uh, in this particular case, all of these elements came into play, and uh, I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, most interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this uh, this this really this really does seem like a um, an interesting project in that uh, you know there there really there really is the combination of all three of these factors. Um, you know, speaking from a kind of high level, can you? Uh, can you walk through uh, some of the sort of high-level best practices for manufacturers and, uh, and distributors? You know, or thinking along the lines of sort of physical security at, 
some of these organizations, uh, some of these protocols to enforce chain of custody and increase visibility, um, and the use of electronic tracking devices. You know, I think a lot of our audiences um, is familiar with the ELD mandate that just came into effect. Um, that's that's uh, that's being rolled out. You know, the the visibility piece, at least uh, in the trucking world. Um, is is really ramping up. You know, there's there's visibility on um, not necessarily trailers, but on the on the tractors that are moving these goods, really like never before. Yeah, there's no question, Elliot, that uh, that we have data available to us uh, today that we've never had before, and that really does help in in several different ways. You know, number one is just enables rapid communications across that uh, across that supply chain. And when I say supply chain, in the case of security, we're talking about the chain of custody. So we can now communicate directly with, uh, with drivers, truck drivers, when they're en route. Um, we can track vehicles. And we pretty much know where, where stuff is to an extent that we've never really been able to, to know before. And that's hugely beneficial uh, in terms of, uh, of improving this, the overall security of, of the supply chain. Uh, also, in the event that something does happen, we can very quickly react to that because we do have that information available. That said, we still have a lot of issues around uh, folks who use information technology uh, against us, yeah. um, hacking uh, and those kinds of things. It's, it's easier than ever before to perform fictitious pickups. Uh, and and, and the th as, as we develop these measures of communication to secure the supply chain, uh, the bad guys are on the opposite side coming up with uh, ways to hack us and, and, and create different approaches, very, very uh, creative approaches to enabling uh, new ways to do, uh, to do theft. Yeah, technology really can be a, a double-edged sword, um, something that, you know, every participant in these uh, in in this space really needs to be aware of and, and stay on top of um, so with all that being said do you do you think uh, the average manufacturer or distributor is doing enough to protect themselves against uh, against cargo theft or doing enough to ensure uh, car adequate cargo security my feeling on that is uh, some do yeah and some don't. Right. A lot of it has to do with the nature of the cargo. Um, could, could we all get better at it? Absolutely. Right. And again, I think some of the new tools and techniques out there uh, are just now really be, becoming fully, uh, fully developed and deployed. Sure. Well, the truth is, this is Eric kicking in on this, the, the, the truth is that, that most trucking companies, most 3PLs, most warehouse and distribution operations take very little time to secure the loads and to secure their own personal supply chain because they don't have control over 3PLs. They don't have control over handing the freight off. They don't have control over picking the freight up to know that there was containment. There's so many things that are loose in the supply chain that most don't do a lot to secure the loads that they've received or the loads that they're moving. Uh, they may do a little bit to secure their equipment. They do a lot logistically to find out, as you were saying, where their equipment is, and use of these electronic devices uh, is, is excellent for that. But the fact remains that, you know, unattended freight uh, can be anywhere, can go anywhere uh, without 
their knowledge or their ability to, to, to get it. And since freight isn't owned by that particular carrier, uh, there's a lot less incentive for them to take measures to protect the freight where there are measures to protect their asset if, if they're dealing with their own tractors and trailers. Sure. Yeah, you know, it seems to be like so many other things in this world, uh, you know, proper attention maybe isn't paid to it until you become a victim. Well, the fun part about uh, transportation law is that it's the greatest way to make money for a transportation attorney because there's segregation against everybody in the supply chain, but nobody ever gets their money back and nobody ever gets their goods back. So, and if they do get their goods back, they don't get their money. So it's a matter of, in most cases, these, these things are a problem for both the shipper and the carrier, but it's, it's a great business if you're a transportation attorney. Right. Um, so, so to pivot here, I know we all wanted to uh, talk about a specific project that you guys worked on together um, involving a secure protocol for packing, shipping, um, and receiving electronic equipment uh, from the U.S. to the People's Republic of China. Um, would one of you guys want to give uh, sort of high-level details on that, and then we can, we can dive into it? Well, I'll give you a sort of an overview of what we were presented with first, and that, that, that it'll cover all the details. Sure. The, the client got, uh, was very, very concerned about somebody being able to open, inspect, and possibly manipulate or download information from some high-tech electronics that was being shipped from the United States in a secure, at least in his mind, a secure environment over to China. Now, that implies that there's a lot of people handling these goods. Somebody has to actually disassemble the product. Somebody has to reassemble the product. Somebody had to originally package it. Somebody had to secure the packaging. Then somebody had to pick it up, bring it to a port, hand it off to uh, some sort of a, a, a handler, uh, customs clearance house or what have you, to be able to put that item onto a plane or to whatever means that they were going to use to transport it, which all had to be determined in the beginning. And then they wanted to monitor that. Well, you know, there's things you can monitor on a ship that you, you, know, you can only monitor within the confines of the ship. There's only things you can monitor on a plane that can only be monitored before it goes on the plane or after it comes off the plane. So the goal there was to have some sort of a, a monitoring issue where there was some sort of tamper evidence in terms of the packaging to know if the package was, was breached. And they wanted to know when, where, and, and, and to how, for how long the package was open to make a determination if the goods were compromised. So there's a lot of moving parts in this, and, and there was a lot of boxes, and, and certainly everything was going to go over, uh, hopefully together, but that usually doesn't happen, especially when you're landing someplace with a plane or breaking bulk someplace, and those goods are, are for a very short period of time, free astray to try to collect them together and then bring them to the final destination. So there was a lot of, a lot of moving parts in this that had to be handled in such a way as to have each individual package identifiable from some perspective and then be able to have a verified um, way to receive it. So when it came to packaging it, we had to come up with a verifiable uh, device used as an, uh, on the outer packaging so that anybody that handled the package could recognize an anomaly in somebody opening the box. And then secondarily, when the 
was originally opened, either at any at any location, there would be a time date stamp on an electronic covert electronic base inside the package. So there are a lot of different things that had to be done in order to be able to make sure that that box had containment and control all the way of the freight, all the way from the beginning to the end. And, and that also, there was also other issues that were taken into account where they had to make sure whoever packed the item actually did pack what they were supposed to pack. So there wasn't a problem from the outset. Uh, so there was a lot of other things that we weren't in control of the client was at that time. So I guess from an overview, we, we had to do a package verification and a means to be able to have a covert detection product so that there was verification uh, both, both visually on the package and electronically upon opening the package. Right. Yeah, it, it really seems like it would be, uh, it would be quite difficult, um, you know, to, to package this so that any intrusion into it uh, would be evident, uh, but it sounds like ultimately you guys were successful. Well, what we tried to do was was to do the packaging in a, in a layered component, something that would be very very difficult to manipulate without having a visual recognition of the manipulation. So that on the outside of the packaging was important, but there were interior boxes because nothing is one piece. Everything everything has pieces and little pieces. Uh, so and, and anything can happen to any one of those pieces, which w could cause a problem, not necessarily from a compromise of the data, but the inability to reassemble it in a way that it was supposed to, to be so it would work. You know, so there's a lot of things that you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose any, any little pieces. Um, the, the fact that we came up with individual boxes and the use of tamper-evident tape and tamper-evident seals on each individual package and then built the outer packaging in such a way as to recognize if it was cut. If somebody cut a hole in it and tried to extract something out of it, that it would be easily noticed. And in each of the boxes, since they were all different, every one of the boxes had to be sort of custom made. So what we had to do was provide a, a base material that they could custom make inserts and custom make little boxes within the box so that when it was removed, not only could they be numbered and, and be able to be recorded as to how they were disassembled to be reassembled, but that each one was verifiable visually that somebody hadn't cut it or opened it, you know, or did something to it that would have compromised something inside. So it was a, a lot of little things into a bigger box, you know, and then the bigger box with a, an electronic device in it so that it could be monitored. And of course, the issue was how do you monitor something in an airplane where they don't want you to be monitoring anything right and because it could disturb else and and how long would the battery last if it was brought off into a warehouse and the, the one box didn't get there and they couldn't deliver you know six boxes without the seventh for instance and then suddenly how long would the battery last so there was there was so many things that came into this that had to be figured out beforehand and then assembled and then and then used and of course the other problem is nothing is in, with electronics is it doesn't disappear. It, if you take a piece, piece of tamper-evident tape that's on a box and you throw it in the trash, that's fine. But when you take a very sophisticated piece of electronics, it has to be returned. Right. So there was another element when it was all done, those pieces of electronics had to be returned back to their owner. Uh, we were using them on a rental basis. So 
there, there was that to consider as well as part of, as part of the entire protocol. Sure. So, so I, I think some of our uh, some of our listening audience may be familiar with uh, the People's Republic of China um, and entities therein as um, more than typically interested in uh, overseas intellectual property. Uh, Matt, in in terms of this project, uh, were there kind of China specific considerations? Uh, that were put in place? There were indeed, and uh, we're sort of going to switch gears here as I talk about this. So um, the, I brought to the client a series of events that I had experienced personally uh, in doing investigations, cargo investigations in Asia. Um, one involved uh, another country in Asia where the customs authorities had been actually pilfering um, boxes of high-value product. Uh, another was, uh, and then there were two others. They both involved the PRC, two different cities. Uh, in one, there had been thefts from the customs area uh, by customs individual, uh, customs personnel that had actually led to a anti-corruption investigation and the apprehension of a number of people, including high officials in that city. And in a third case, uh, in another city, there were um, uh, customs personnel uh, demanding access to controlled technology. That is something that requires a U.S. export license, demanding access to controlled technology equipment manuals um, and asking for samples of proprietary chemicals that uh, were only used by the client. And so this represented, of course, a very high threat environment. Uh, combine that with the materials that were being shipped. The materials that were being shipped uh, consisted of a uh, communications uh, center equipment set that uh, was going to carry over it uh, trade secrets between uh, the U.S. and the client in China. And so uh, uh, we were very concerned, and we went to uh, to Walt and Eric and uh, outlined all this. And the the kind of um, solution that we reached uh, that they just described, um, I think, treated the problem of how to address risk when you have to consider time, opportunity, and risk of detection of the shipment going through an area that you yourself don't control. Right. And in a case like this, it was going to sit in a customs warehouse. So there'd be plenty of time and there'd be plenty of opportunity. And so what we needed to do was to raise the risk of detection to an unacceptable level, because I think a uh, final point here, one thing that has to be considered, um, there, there's a bit of a myth regarding China. And that is that, Whatever you send to China, you're going to lose when it comes to intellectual property or, or trade secrets. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. There are precautions you can take to raise the risk of stealing that technology or those trade secrets. And in this case, I think we reached a good conclusion. We raised the risk of detection and therefore the risk of a bilateral problem with the U.S. to a level where 
nobody fooled around with the shipment. Sure. Yeah, that that definitely uh, that definitely makes sense. You know, it's interesting in in uh, in this case, um, adding these these layers of uh, protections that were um, you know in in terms of tamper evident tape, uh, top clips, um, and tamper evident bags. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to me that that those uh, that those really um, prevented uh, prevented any you know entity on that side from from breaking into this package um, how do you find the how do you find uh, and this is an open open question to all three of you um, the use of some of these tamper evident technologies um, on the on the domestic side um, are they as effective or do they need to be combined with with other strategies well one of the things I can tell you is that if you, you can put the best products, the best technology in the world in place, if you don't look at it and if you don't develop a process to be able to understand its use and how to inspect it, then right. it's totally 100% worthless. So these, these products are means to an end. If you have a carrier that's going to pick up a shipment and doesn't look at the, the things that the, the, the shipper has put on yeah. to ensure the integrity of the cargo when he picks it up, then you really haven't done anything to secure the cargo, even though there's something on it. So that it has a level of deterrent value, but the deterrent value may be only uh, as good as the thief is to stealing it. So if the thief is very, very good, then the deterrent value is zero because if nobody's going to inspect it, nobody's going to find out. But if you have a, a sophisticated cargo thief, but yet you have a driver or a receiver in the warehouse that can look at that before he signs a bill of lading and say, hey, wait a second, this isn't the right number sequence, or this, this is cut, or this is damaged, or this in some way is, is, is showing us that there's been tampering, then suddenly you've moved the liability from the recipient to the carrier. Right. And once you've done that, carrier knows who handled the goods and at that point you can find the perpetrator relatively easily because chain of custody is pretty easy it's you know back in the second grade you know the kid that was chewing the bubble gum who and everybody else wasn't you know, he's the one who took it right so it's a matter of you know how you how you set up the protocol and who is taught how to use it and if it's going to be used you can you can secure very very high value cargo very inexpensively by just doing something that puts a deterrent and an inspection process in the way of a criminal and the and in, in favor of the shipper and the carrier combined, you're going to find that those things really do work. Right. Yeah. As as Matt said, just increasing that uh, risk of detection to a point where uh, whoever is tempted to, to break into these shipments just determines that it's not worth it. Yeah, or, or, or he's going to get discovered, and that risk alone will, might knock off at, at least half of those people who might be doing that or might be thinking about that just because they work there. And in most cases, cargo theft 
in, in well, I'd say certainly a very significant amount of the cases has something to do with somebody who works at that particular company. It's typically an inside situation because they know what it is, where it is, where it's going to be, and, and what they can do with it to get, get it out of that facility. Sure. Uh, if somebody's going to hide a truck, that's a different story. Then they're going to take the entire load. But basic pilferage is usually oriented around the shipper or the carrier, the warehouseman, or the receiver. That certainly, uh, that certainly makes sense. Um, com- coming back to this, uh, coming back to this project specifically, um, so so I know part of this was documenting any anomalies or or evidence of, of tampering, obviously, um, and and reporting that. So it definitely seems like you had the the people on the process in in place. Um, what ultimately happened? Well, from what I from what I understood is that there were folks from the shipper that were over at the um, warehouse when the stuff arrived, yep. who knew what they were looking for and who were, I think, involved in, with the packaging and understood each of the processes that was involved with securing the goods, and they were able to uh, verify the integrity of the boxes, and as they unpacked them, verify the integrity of each individual component, that it wasn't compromised, or at least to the best of their knowledge, was exactly the way it was packed. So I believe it was very successful because everybody was involved. Right. Yeah, I would add to that and say that uh, I was on the team that did the packing and the unpacking. So we we packed it at the U.S. port, took lots of pictures, of course, and then the very same team that did the packing, um, several of us, went over to China, did the unpacking, compared the photos we had to what we were seeing in front of us, verified each seal, and we concluded that there had been no tampering. I would add to that, too, that uh, in the book that was mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, we have uh, an entire chapter devoted to technology theft. Um, there's a connection here to uh, freight security, and, and there's, uh, there are 80 cases that we discuss. And so there's a lot more information there about how um, cases like this can be handled and what uh, sort of risks one undergoes. One thing I'd like to add is that in in most companies, the people that are tasked with moving cargo are typically more logisticians than they are security professionals. And so what happens and, and what's happened recently is a lot of the folks that are involved with security have moved from the logistics component into the HR kind of departments, and they fail to understand because they don't have the hands-on uh, experience what is actually happening in the supply chain. So in a lot of cases, these these countermeasures are not funded correctly because the people that have the funding options are not uh, don't have the ability to understand you know, and are not active within the logistics uh, area of the company and don't recognize the risks and don't understand the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so when they don't do that, they say, well, why, why would we be spending money proactively when we don't have a problem? Sure. Well, they may have had 10 shipments that went out without an issue, but the 11th one was stolen and that, and that was worth, pick a number, that was worth $10 million, you know, and now, you know, that nothing was done because they didn't have a problem before, but now they, they've had a $10 million problem for, let's say for, you know, a 10th of that, they could have mitigated that for the entire year. Right. So it, it's hard. It, we're, Walt and I are always, you know, sort of, you know, pushing things uphill because we can't, get them to understand that being a little bit proactive and understanding the risks 
and trying to look at solutions that address their particular supply chain is an appropriate and, and cost-effective way to be able to do business. And if you fail to understand that, when, when you get your first loss, you know, they, they just look at it as the cost of doing business, but that first loss could be millions. Right. particular case, uh, one thing that was very interesting was what we were, what we were trying to protect was intellectual property, uh, trade secrets, yeah. information. And it's very difficult to put a value on that particular thing. It's not like we're trying to protect a, you know, a, a tractor trailer full of, um, of flat panel displays or pharmaceuticals or something like that that, that can be valued in monetary uh, terms. In this case, we're talking about information trade secrets that can be hugely valuable and putting them into an environment where really the rules – the conventional rules and laws just don't apply because you're talking about the People's Republic of China. Right. They make up their own rules over there. So that was a very interesting aspect, I think, of this of this particular case. Yeah, agreed. Um, I would add to that 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 there have been um, there have been cases, of course, where the loss of trade secrets or intellectual property has been a total disaster. The solar panel business in the United States is a perfect example right. of, uh, where at least one company has been just thrown out of business entirely because uh, there was an insider that uh, helped steal trade secrets. And this is why the board of directors of this company was so closely involved in in uh, monitoring this operation. Sure. Yeah, if it's uh, if it's critical technology and even if it's even if it's uh, you know, just important technology, uh, definitely worth the time and effort to, to make sure things are secured. Um, hopefully our listening audience will uh, take away from this that being a little more uh, proactive and uh, being willing to spend a little bit more on cargo security ultimately will be uh, more than worth the investment. So I want to thank the three of you for coming onto the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we will see you guys back soon. Uh, so everybody, thanks for listening to the Are You Shipping Me podcast. Give us a like and give us a share if you enjoyed this content and think that your network would benefit from it as well. And drop us a comment letting us know how your organization currently tackles issues related to cargo security and what you're doing to improve. I know uh, we all can can do more to improve in this area. So for the AYSM podcast, I'm LA Brazil. Until next time, good luck out there. <laughs>